Okay, now I'm on. There I am. I'll say it again. Ken Amador is my name, and I've been here before, and very glad to be back. Still living in Massachusetts. You can pray for me for that. Uh, but instead of working in, in Rhode Island, now I work in uh, New Hampshire, so I can't find a job in Massachusetts, so I've got to go to neighboring states to get a job. So, but uh, God is blessing. I am the administrator for a Christian school in New Hampshire right now for the last two years, and God is blessing in that respect. And so we're very glad to come back and see you folks again. Always, I'm grateful to be here. And I just ask you this morning, if you'd open your Bibles to James chapter 1, we'll jump right into our message this morning, James chapter 1. And I want to read uh, verses 12 through 18 this morning. James chapter 1, verse 12. Starting in verse 12, it says in James chapter 1, Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God or of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow or turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that, he, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his Creatures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great church, Calvary Church. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to center our attention on you. Uh, Father, we're here to hear from you. Our desire is to hear your word, and God, that we would not just hear it, but then we would do something with it, that it would make a, a difference in our lives. Father, we're not to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. And I pray, God, this morning right now that your Holy Spirit would fill this place with your power. And God, that your people would respond to your word. And, and we're, we're, we need a clear word from you. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, wherever we are, whatever struggles we might be having. Some in this room might be going through difficult waters. Some might be struggling, Lord. Maybe some at the end of their rope. Maybe some didn't sleep last night because of turmoil or stress or problems or difficulties. Father, you know that. And I ask God this morning that they would be encouraged, that they would be able to have the strength and the grace to look up. You've not forgotten them. God, you are with them. We pray that this message this morning would help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that you would work in this service this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is not to blame for our temptations is the title of my message this morning. And I want to encourage you, but also challenge you this morning, because we're all people, we're all human beings here, and we all basically struggle with some of the same stuff. So I want to encourage you with that and start off by saying this, we all battle with temptation. Every one of us, male, female, old, young, uh, skinny, not so skinny, wherever we are, we're going to struggle with temptation. That's the human condition. 
And so what I want to encourage you with is that God knows that. And I want to encourage you to look up and to recognize that God is for us and not against us. Uh, temptation, as I mentioned, is a universal human experience. As we read in verse 13, it said in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. It says when he is tempted, not if he is tempted. It is a reality. Every one of us struggle with it. Temptation does not discriminate. Christian, non-Christian, uh, rich, poor, temptation is an equal opportunity tempter. It is human nature not to accept the blame for our sinfulness. We're too often, it's not my fault, it's that person's fault. I didn't do it, they did it. We are in good company with that because it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We know that Eve blamed the devil. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 13 says, And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she's casting blame. She's not taking responsibility for her sin. She is blaming someone else. Um, Adam blamed Eve, and eventually God, in Genesis 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So he's blaming his wife. And then, of course, he's blaming God eventually. You, you did this, God. That means that a lot, a lot of times today we also blame God. God, it's your fault for allowing these troubles. You created me the way I am. You allowed my situation. And that is the easy out for us to blame God for our difficulties. But I want to encourage you, and James is trying to encourage us this morning, that it's not God who is the fault, at fault, and it's not the people around us at fault. It's us. We made the decision. James is dealing with this very issue in the church then, and oh, by the way, we still struggle with it today. These Christians that James is talking to at this very early church, he is, they were blaming God. We saw in verse 13 that they were blaming God for their sin, blaming God for the temptation. But we need to recognize, and we didn't read that this morning, but in verses 2 through 12 of this same chapter, we see that God allows trials and difficult circumstances in our lives. And the purpose for those trials and struggles is to allow us to build godly character and to be able to produce spiritual growth. But sometimes if we respond incorrectly to those difficult times, we can actually turn what could be a, po a good situation into a negative one and start blaming God because we got frustrated or angry and sinned. The nation of Israel is a good example of, uh, of this while they were wandering in the wilderness. So how we respond to trials determines whether we will experience spiritual growth or temptation. And that's up to us. Every time we are in a situation, we have a choice to make. And I've, I think I've said this before. We have a choice to either trust God and grow or to blame God and go backwards and to actually uh, start uh, doing bad things uh, in his sight. This was the thought process of the people James is writing to. Uh, God causes trials in my life. Therefore, God causes temptation. Therefore, God causes me 
to sin. That was what they were dealing with. And ladies and gentlemen, we can be caught in the same cycle if we're not careful, where we can actually start saying, the reason why I'm in this situation is you, God. You allowed these bad things to happen, and I responded this way, and look at where I'm, the fix that I'm in now. So James is forbidding them to blame God. We saw that in verse 13. Don't do it. Don't blame God. Uh, he says, let no one say, which is in the middle voice, which means let no one say to himself, let no one rationalize, uh, let no one make the excuse that when they are tempted, that God tempted them, because that's our natural reaction is to blame someone else. God is not even remotely responsible for our temptation. He is the giver, and we'll read this here in a moment, the good things. He blesses us. He wants us to do well. James gives proof in this passage that God is not the source of our temptation. In fact, he gives three proofs in this passage. I want to share with you this morning that God is not to blame for our temptation. The very first one is this. The first proof that God is not the source of our temptation is because of the nature of evil. Look in verse 13 again, and let's see here. Look in verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. The part that I want you to see is, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God is inexperienced with evil. Think about that. God is thrice holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Anything that's evil, anything that represents Satan cannot be in his presence. He is not experienced with that. He has no experience with evil. He has no capacity for evil. He has no vulnerability to evil. God has placed limitations on himself. There are things, believe it or not, that God cannot do. There's actually two things that God cannot do. Number one, God cannot sin. We've got to recognize that God cannot sin. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's the first thing that God cannot do. The second thing that God cannot do, and I hope that you hear this this morning, God can't lie. God is incapable of lying. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The nature of evil is set apart from God. I can't illustrate that this morning more than saying that if evil is over here, then God is over here. In fact, that's way too close. They're completely uh, exclusive. They cannot be in the same area together. God has no experience with evil. This is different from the pagan gods. We're all familiar with the mythic stories, the Nordic gods and the Roman gods. And too often, in the, especially in the Greek mythology, you find deities that are liable to tempt and are frequently seen as sinning and tempting others to sin. God has absolutely no vulnerability to evil because the nature of evil is totally foreign to him. So why would God use something evil 
to cause us to trip up. God just doesn't, can't do that. It's, it's not within who he is. So that's the first reason that God does not tempt us. Number two, because the nature of man. First one, because of the nature of evil. Now because of the nature of man. Look in verses 14 and 15. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. God does not tempt us because evil is foreign to him, but we are tempted when we are dragged away and enticed by our own desires. So God's not the reason why we're tempted. God's not the reason why we sin. The, the real story is that we are the reason why we go through those difficult times. James describes the powerful pull of our nature. There's something within us, and it happened at the fall of man, Adam and Eve, that our nature became depraved. Our nature became corrupted because of sin. So there's something within us that draws us to evil, that draws us to sin. The first metaphor that we see in this passage comes from hunting. I have done very little hunting in my life. Uh, I think my grandmother owned guns, and just recently we got our license to carry in Massachusetts, which is not an easy thing to get, I will say this. It took us a year and a half to get it, but we finally got it. But I'm not really familiar so much with hunting, but this word drawn away is a hunting metaphor. Uh, it's used to describe the luring of an animal into a trap. The word literally means to be compelled by an inner power. Now, I've done some trapping where you have to entice something to come to the trap. They're not just going to walk into the trap or step onto the trap. There's going to be something there that draws them to it, that lures them to it. And that's what we're talking about. The word desire or lust means the desire of the soul. It's something within us that wants that. It draws us to it. So we're actually, it's us that's actually doing it. We have met the enemy and the enemy is us. It's not God, it's us. We're the ones who have the problem. So that first one is from the words drawn away or is a hunting term. The second metaphor that we see in this passage comes from the world of fishing. Another area that I've got the tiny, tiny bit of experience with. But I have done some fishing. If you throw a line out there with just a hook, the fish aren't going to be interested in that. You've got to give them something that's going to interest them. It's going to cause them to bite. And that is the word enticed. The word literally means to lure, to beguile, or to entrap. Temptation is the act of enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Now let me set something straight here before we get too far into the message. I want you to know that temptation is not sin. Too often we are filled with guilt and shame because we've been tempted. And we think we've done something wrong because we've been tempted. Temptation is not sin. Temptation doesn't become sin. We'll illustrate that here in a moment until we do something with it. Temptation is uh, an invitation. It's not sin until we accept that invitation. As long as it's not something that we act on, it is not sin. Desires are not wrong. God gave us desires. 
and they're not wrong in and of themselves. It's the fulfillment of those desires outside the parameters of God that he has set that it becomes sin. False guilt, shame. Let's make sure that we have remorse and we have repentance of sin and not consumed with this false guilt that we've done something wrong because we've been tempted. Now, if we fulfilled that temptation and sin, then that requires confession and getting right with God again. But let's not allow Satan to use the shame and the guilt or the false guilt from temptation that we're unworthy of God's love. That's simply not true. So I want to explain as James is talking this morning about the process of sin. James changes metaphors from hunting and fishing now to childbearing. Here's another area that has zero knowledge. It's childbearing. In fact, we have two children, but I don't even, didn't even go through that process with my wife because both my kids are adopted. So I, don't, I wasn't even there when that happened. So, but I've seen it on TV, and I've talked to people, and so kind of know the process of childbearing. It really is a great metaphor to describe the process that we go through when we sin. So here it is. There's four D's that I want you, if you're writing notes, uh, these are good ones to write down. The very first one is desire. That's the first step, desire. That's the emotional aspect. Sin begins with a feeling. Hmm, I want that. That's the very first thought that we have. There's the temptation floating around, and in your mind you're like, that, that looks interesting. I want that. That's the very first step. And I want to use Eve as our illustration as we go through these four D's that we're going to talk about. In Genesis 3, 6, we see Eve had already received very clear instruction from God saying, of all the trees in the Garden of Eden, you can freely eat except one. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. So she knew that. It was very clear. God was not ambiguous at all about that explanation. But what was the first thing that entered her mind when she saw the tree? She said, that is pleasant to the eyes. It since starts with a feeling, desire. Number two, deception. This is the mental aspect. First is desire. Second is deception. It's the mental aspect. You begin to justify and rationalize the desire. And it goes something like this. I see it. I like it. I deserve it. That's for me. That's the process that we go. And let's look at what Eve did. She said, she started rationalizing. She said, that is good for food. That's desirable to make one wise. So you see the interchange that's going on. At this point, no sin has occurred. You've got something, hmm, that's interesting. I want that. Then you start justifying why you deserve it. Still at this point, no sin. Now the next part is when we go into the sin territory. Number three, design. This involves the will. Design. Now the concept of how you're going to pull this in off begins to form. The plan formulates. And we see in Eve where she said she made up her mind to do it. That's where we go from temptation, not sin, to temptation and sin. 
You come up with a plan to make it happen. So desire, deception, design, and then the fourth step, the fourth D, is disobedience. This involves behavior. This is acting on the feeling that has been thought out and planned. What did that look like in Eve's life? She took the fruit, she ate, and gave it to Adam. Sin. It's full. It's like giving birth. You know, nine months. You know, give or take a week or so. You're growing. You're growing and growing, and then at the appointed time, a baby is born. In this case, this is the gestation period of a sin. At a certain point, there is something that's born, and we call that sin. Don't blame God for that. That is all us. We are the ones who are struggling with this flesh part of our person that loves sin, and God's given us the Holy Spirit to combat it, but we make the choice either to listen to the Holy Spirit or not listen to the Holy Spirit, to obey God or not to obey God. The third proof that he gives, that James gives, is because of the nature of God. Let's look in verses 17 and 18. In verses 17 and 18, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. We know that God is holy. We know that he cannot sin. We know that God is good, based on just his word. God gives us four facts that we need to know about God's goodness. These people in James's time, very early in the Christian church, were using their struggles and their problems to blame God for their sin. And he, was not the, the, he wasn't the author of that. We were. They were. So four facts he wants to give about God's goodness. Number one, fact one, God only gives good gifts. So when God touches our lives, it's to produce life, not death. To produce righteousness, not sin. To produce spiritual growth, not temptation. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, the reason why I'm doing these bad things is because God has turned his back on me or because God has done this bad thing in my life. It's amazing how we justify our sin. It's amazing how we justify bad behavior. But we do it. Why, I don't know, but we do it. But God only gives good gifts. Fact number two, the way God gives is good. He is the father of lights. Lights is associated with good. The bad guys wear black hats and the good guys wear white hats. The value of the gift can be diminished by the way it is given. God gives good gifts in good ways. Is that your testimony this morning? That you recognize that the good things that God has blessed you with are indeed from him. It's not something that you did. You know, I'm this way because I'm smart. I'm this way because I'm rich. I'm this way because I'm good looking. No, all the good things that we have come from God. The bad things that are occurring, they're either because we did it, we allowed Satan to do it, or we're just, you know, not thinking. You know, we, it's too easy to fall into the temptation to blame God for our bad luck. The way God gives is good. Fact number three, God gives consistently comes down, is a present participle, which means it's continually keeping coming. It's, it keeps coming down. God does not stop giving. Now, as I've gotten older, I'm 58 years old as of 
a week ago. And I look at my body, I'm like, I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not 28, not 38, not 48, I'm 58. And there are things that I still think that I can do, but I look at my body, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And if I try to do it, I will pay the severe price the next morning by not being able to get out of bed or feeling like I got ran over by a bus the day before. And you guys, you know what I'm talking about. It's painful. You know, it's an amazing thing that God loves us, but we have to recognize as we get older, there are some things we can do and some things we can't do, but all of it, the breath that we have comes from God. All the good things that we have come from God. God's, in fact, number four, God does not change. There's no variation. There's no shadows. There's no turning. From men's perspective, the moon and the stars change from day to, day to night and vary in intensity and shadow. But God does not change. We change. We get older. We change. God never changes. Now, I don't know about you, especially as I've gotten older, I'm grateful for that, that God does not change. There might be a lot of stuff that I can't depend on in this life, but I can always depend on God. I can always trust that He is working for my good. I want to, as I bring this message to a close, I want to remind you about David. You know, we, we're all familiar with David. He has blessed beyond measure by God. And when all the kings were supposed to be going out to battle, apparently there was a season to do that, he said, you know what? I deserve a break. I think I'm going to stay back, relax, catch my breath, you know, take a couple of days of vacay, if you will, you know, and not go do that. But you know what? In that time, when he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing, it was his greatest opportunity for temptation. You know, we all know the story, Bathsheba, he... Looked, he saw, he wanted, went through that whole process, that four-step process that we talked about. And he sinned and brought a great deal of trouble on his head. Second Samuel 12 and verse 7, 7 and 8 says this, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. He's recounting all these blessings that God had given him. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, think about that. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Instead of blaming God for our struggles and our problems, we've got to reflect on how God has been good to us. Think about it. Not just the breath that you have, not just the strength to get out of bed, not just your jobs, not just about your health, all the things that God has blessed us with. God doesn't tempt us to sin because His desire is to save us from our sins. We saw that in verse 18. God doesn't tempt us to sin because He is inexperienced with evil and He only gives good gifts. Our sinful nature is what leads us to sin. And that is why we need Jesus to forgive us of our sins. What about you this morning? Are you stuck in a process of blaming God or blaming others for bad things that have happened in your life? I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to start taking responsibility for your own choices. You know, as parents, we try to get our kids 
to make good choices, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And we try to allow them to experience the consequences of bad choices. We need to do the same thing as adults. Let's make sure that we're reflecting on an accurate picture of God and the goodness that God wants to share in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this message. I'm grateful, Lord, for these men and women who uh, come out week after week, Lord, to your house. I thank you for Pastor Rich and his family. I pray that you just bless them as they're away and bring them back at the appointed time. And Father, this morning, we, we need you. All of us are cut from the same fabric, Lord. We're humans. We've got temptations that we struggle with, whatever they might be. And Father, help us, Lord, to take responsibility in our response to those temptations. God, we want to glorify you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want you to be uh, extolled and to be uplifted. And Father, we want to be a good testimony for you that others might want a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has never accepted you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would accept Jesus Christ's death on their cross and his righteousness for them. Because that's the very first step to a life that's blessed by you. Thank you so much, Lord, for this message from your word. Thank you for James and, and just help us, Father, to reflect on this simple message, God, that we would make the necessary changes in our lives that we might be blessed more by you going forward. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's have the praise team come back up.